0: Good morning. I will let you all stand up. Would you like to stand up? Okay, just stand up and lift your hands to the Lord and, and touch your toes. Okay. All right. Get the blood running. Okay, go ahead and take your seats. Praise the Lord. It's great to see everybody here today. What a blessing. This is a special day for me. I'm going to just start off sharing a little little story here. That three years ago today, actually today, this is the 30th of June, we rolled into town uh, from Dallas. A lot of Dallas connections here. Uh, we came here by faith, a word from the Lord, to come and join ourselves to this ministry. And so, I won't tell the whole thing, but we rolled into town on June 30th, during the Summer Family Bible Conference. And in the midst of unpacking the truck and trying to move in, and we didn't know a soul here. Nobody knew us. And uh, some of the first meetings I went to were the Summer Family Bible Conference. And three years later, here I am. So I won't explain to you what a miracle that is, but take my word for it. This is uh, quite a miracle for us. And we are thoroughly blessed to be here, to be part of, of uh, Andrew Womack Ministries, And now to be part of Karis Bible College Uh, It's something that God had put on my heart and it's coming to pass now And it's just a a tremendous blessing. And so I would add my amen to all of the uh, Bible College directors that have been up here sharing about how they've stepped out in faith Uh, If you have a word from God That's all you need. That's all you need a word from God. So we are here uh, serving the Lord my wife works in the accounting department I have just recently uh transferred i'm in the process of transitioning from working in the encouragement department which is part of the phone center and i'm transitioning into my new position as the director of the third year program and uh, as a director of the third year program we're developing a a program for those who feel called to ministry they're going to be Uh, Exposed to and impacted with many different kinds of ministries and different kinds of situations to prepare them so that when they leave after three years They will be much more prepared and much more uh, Ready to go out and step into the thing that God has called them to One of the things that uh, just a little background. We were missionaries in Chile for 12 years uh, Almost 12 years and one year in Guatemala and so And then in Dallas, we went to Dallas after that. We were there for six years, and I was a director of a Spanish Bible school in Dallas. So for 18 years, I have only ministered in Spanish. And only for the last two years have I ministered in English. So it's still something of a transition for me. Every now and then, as my students know, I'll stop and have to think of uh, what was the English word for that. Uh, And so Gary, the director, Gary told me, he says, when you take over this third-year program, feel free to, to put your your personality on it. Let it take shape however, however you feel like it needs to take shape. And so I just wanted to announce a, a little change for third year. Uh, it will be conducted entirely in Spanish. So, so I'm excited, I'm excited about that. I, I figure if, if Andrew can speak Russian now, he can, he can speak Spanish too, right? All right, praise the Lord. So one of the, uh, one of the things I did in my previous position, uh, I was the correspondent, or I would answer all of the emails and letters that would come into the ministry with questions. Any kind of question about Andrew's teaching, any kind of doctrinal question, any kind of Bible question, all of these things would come to me and I would answer those. Maybe some of you have written in the past couple of years and got an answer. If you like the answer, be sure and tell me. Okay, if you didn't like the answer, keep that to yourself. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear you complain, all right? <laughs> but I did, I, uh, I did receive a lot of emails. I probably did over some 20,000 emails in the last couple of years and letters. And the good thing about that, you get to hear people's questions. And I think probably the most effective way to minister is when you can hear what, what people are concerned about, what their questions are. I learned a lot in that job, and I learned how people think. I learned what concerns them. I learned the kinds of doctrinal questions they may have. I learned the kinds of uh, issues they may have with something that Andrew has taught that is new to them, things about grace. Or just, just any kind of question, a variety of questions. And so when you learn how to minister to people based on what their questions are, many times the, the truth sets them free far quicker than if they have to wade through hours and hours and years and years of teaching. If you just learn how to answer those questions. And so that's something I really enjoy doing is answering questions, and, and I, I've gotten a lot of practice. But something I want to do this morning is I want to turn the tables and what I want to do is let Jesus ask us a couple of questions. And I'm going to take a couple of questions out of the scriptures. And I think these are pertinent because sometimes I find that people will write in with questions. And I'm, and I'm sa- thinking to myself, why didn't you just read two verses before and three verses after? It's right there. Yeah. And yet sometimes we, we're quick to... To take a, a scripture right out of, this, out of context and just say, but it, the Bible says this. And so too, too often we are not willing to investigate, to ponder, to meditate, to study, to look back and forth and, and find the answer. And so I, I find a lot of people are, are dealing with these kinds of issues or doctrinal questions or what have you. And they aren't letting the Lord work in their heart. And so what I want to do is put a couple of questions to you this morning. And I want to... Let's start in Matthew 16. I want to go there. Matthew 16. We're going to read 13 through 19. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that you are John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But who do you say that I am? That's the first question we're going to ask here. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee also that thou art Peter, meaning small rock, and upon this giant rock, is the Greek word, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, this is a significant moment and a significant passage, and I've gotten a lot of light from this, and I hope we can can get this communicated. That Jesus is asking a question here. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus immediately replies and said, flesh and blood didn't, didn't reveal that to you. My Father revealed that to you. And then he goes on to explain what that means. Is The way I understand it, and you may disagree, but I believe he's saying that it's not upon the rock of Peter. It's upon the rock of revelation. Revelation knowledge, something that God has revealed. That he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that revelation, I will build my church. Upon this thing which has been revealed to you by the Father, that is the rock on which I will build my church. Now, let's look at this a little little deeper. He says, upon this rock, upon this revelation, I will build my church. Now, I'm going to be asking you some questions here in a moment, but let's go on. He says, says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against what? Against the church, which is built where? Upon the revelation of what? Of who Jesus is. Hell cannot prevail against the revelation of who Jesus is. The foundation of the church and the foundation of your life has to be built upon a revelation. And he says, and I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven... And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So I'll just sum that up and call that authority. That if you have a revelation of Jesus, that is the foundation for your life. If you have a revelation of Jesus, hell cannot prevail against that. You can't be shaken. If you have a revelation of Jesus then you have authority in the earth. In your sphere, in your life, in your sphere of influ- influence, there is authority because you have a revelation. Now let's think about it. Who do you say that he is? Now this is what I want to put to you. Who do you say that he is, number one? Number two, who revealed that to you? If flesh and blood revealed that to you, that's a good start. But if the Spirit hasn't revealed that to you in your spirit, then you don't have a foundation. And you'll notice that the gates of hell may be prevailing against you. And you might notice you don't have a whole lot of authority in your life. Because you're dealing with something that is not spirit, but it's flesh and blood. We preached the gospel. The first time I heard the gospel, I was, I was raised in the Methodist church, but I didn't hear the gospel until I was 20 years old. And the first time I heard it, it was flesh and blood. It was men telling me the gospel. And so I was listening. I paid some attention. I kind of brushed it off the first few times I heard it. But at some point in the process of hearing the gospel, and I was a, a junior in college, when, when it finally began to have impact in my life... But there came a point when it wasn't flesh and blood any longer. The spirit of God revealed to me the gospel. Now, a lot of people come to the Lord and they come to the Lord only based on what they've heard mentally. They come to the Lord based on their emotions. They have some some goosebumps. They they have a feeling they sense something. It's more of a soulish experience. And so they come and then two weeks later, where are they? Because it was revealed by flesh and blood. It wasn't revealed by the spirit. And as I studied this out and meditate on this, I find that everything in our lives, these questions are valid. If you come to a place in your life where you need healing, who do you say that he is? Who revealed that to you? You say, well, I'm, I'm trying to get my healing, I, I'm working on my healing, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on my healing. Every time I hear someone say, I'm waiting on my healing, I'm thinking, that's not where you should be. Who revealed to you that he is the healer? Jehovah Rapha. Well, that's what Andrew teaches. Well, that's great. But has it been revealed to you in the spirit? Have you seen it? Is it something that the Father has revealed to your spirit? He's revealing, have you received the the revelation? Who revealed it to you? Well, I'm going through a problem in my marriage. All right, who do you say that he is? Is he the healer of marriages? Is he the restorer of marriages? Well, I'm having problems with my kids. Who do you say that he is? And who revealed that to you? Is this making any sense? uh, Husbands can do this with wives. I'm going to mess up your marriages right here. And wives can do this with husbands. But every time you guys come into a conflict, every time there's a challenge, financial, marital, relational with your kids, every time there's some kind of problem, physical healing thing, ask each other, who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? Well, he's the healer. Well, who revealed that to you? Well, he's the restorer of marriages. Well, who revealed that to you? And if you can come to the place where these things are revelation knowledge, then you have a foundation that the gates of hell can't prevail against. Then you won't be shaken when the bad news comes. You'll be unmovable. I remember the first time that uh, probably the worst news I had heard up until that point in my life We had just found out uh, that my wife was expecting our first child. And two days later, she had extremely serious complications. And I won't go into all that detail. Rushed her to a doctor, had these tests done. And I took her home and went back the next day to pick up the results from the different places and take them to the doctor. And then he brought me into his office and he showed me these different exams and sonograms and what have you. And he says, I'm sorry to tell you this, but the, the fetus, as he called it, is dead. And the sac has collapsed. All the fluid is gone. There's no sign of life. Everything is it's over. So he says, what will happen is that there will be a spontaneous, a spontaneous abortion. She will pass the fetus within a couple of days. So all of that information hit my head. But it didn't get into my heart. And then in that, that instant, I knew, he's the healer. This isn't, this isn't God. This isn't the last word. And so I went home, and my wife said, what did the doctor say? I said, he said, just stay in bed, for, and you'll get better. And I just... And I, I didn't tell her what he really said. But I began to speak and pray, and and I I included her in this, this stand of faith because she knew she was having problems, but she didn't know the extent. So we agreed together in prayer. But we, I, someone could ask me, "Who do you say that he is?" And in that moment, I knew. No, this we have a child. This is a promise. We have a name. We didn't know if it, back then you didn't know if it was male or female, but we already had a name. I knew this was my child, and so I didn't receive that word. Who did I say that he was? Was it just mental knowledge or was it revelation knowledge? And so David was born two weeks late, but he was born. <laughs> Amen. And he now works for the ministry. He works in the IT department. He lives in Fort Worth, but works over, um, via computer. Uh, expecting his first child, my second grandchild, all because I had a revelation of who He is. It wasn't that I knew about—I knew about healing. I could teach healing doctrinally, but I needed something else. I needed a word from God. Same thing happened many years ago when I was dealing with feeling like a failure. I was condemning myself. I felt guilty. We had tried. We had struck out to Mexico. Spent four months there. We had failed. We came back. We didn't have any money. We were as poor as poor could be. And I thought, why did all my friends from Bible school make it and I didn't make it? And I was just feeling really down. And so I, got on the, I was in the, on the living room floor, stretched out. And all of a sudden, 2 Corinthians 5.21 came to me. It said It made, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And all of a sudden, that came alive to me. That became a revelation to me. That I knew, that I knew, that I knew, that I was the righteousness of God in Christ. Now I could have taught that. I had taught that. I knew it doctrinally. But it had been flesh and blood revealing that to me. And yet when it became spirit to me, it transformed me. I can say that probably that revelation had as much impact on me as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It changed me. When I knew that I was righteous, when I knew that I was pure in God's eyes, that I had his righteousness, that transformed my life. And in that process, I began, you know, I started to click. This is what it's all about. Hearing from God. This is what everybody is so excited about. You can actually hear from God. And when you hear from God, it changes you. When you hear from God, something happens. There's a, something transpires. And when someone says... Who do you say that He is? I can say He is my righteousness because I've seen that in the Spirit. I can say He is my healer because I have seen that in the Spirit. It's not just something men have revealed to me. And it's important that we sit under good teaching and that, that these things, are, we're exposed to them. But until they become yours, until it's your revelation, until it's your life, until you know that you know, then you're not going to be on that rock of revelation Against which the gates of hell can't prevail You have to have that revelation Who do you say that he is? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 2 First Corinthians 2, we'll start with 14 It says, the natural man receives not the things of the spirit of God For they are foolishness unto him Now Paul's writing this to Christians, and I'm going to to include Christians in this. Because all of us, he also says in Romans 12, too, that we need to have our minds renewed. And so there's a lot of spiritual people with natural minds. Anybody say amen? Amen. So we have to have our minds renewed. It says the natural man receives not the things of the Lord. And I began to understand that there's a lot of us that are natural men with spirits of christ but we're not renewed we're not hearing we're not plugged in and when people ask us who is he we say well we're speaking from our natural understanding is he your righteousness well yes i have the doctrine of that is he your healer well yes i understand isaiah 53 is he your peace well yes i understand the word shalom and we can go through the list of the seven redemptive names of god and we can explain them doctrinally we can explain them mentally But is that who he is to you revelationally, if I can make up a word? Is that what you know, that you know, that you know, that you know? So that when there is a crisis in your life, when there is a marriage difficulty, who do you say that he is? When there's an economic challenge, when they want to foreclose on your home or take your business, who do you say that he is? Who revealed that to you? Is this making any sense? Go to verse 12, same chapter. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. That we might know the things that are freely given to us by God. That we might know. Or in other words, there is a progression here. We haven't received the spirit of the world, we've received the Spirit which is of God, that we might know, that we might see. You can call it hearing a word. You can call it seeing in the invisible, lifting up your head, lifting up your eyes, as Andrew was speaking about. You can use different phrases for this. I call it revelation knowledge. That we might know. And so there are things we need to know. And this knowing is what becomes the foundation. Upon this rock of revelation, I will build my church Why do we see so many wishy-washy believers here today, gone tomorrow? Because they aren't built on a rock of revelation. And as that revelation begins to come, you'll find people more and more solid. So when you get the late night phone call of of a death in the family, you're not shaken to the core. When something happens that should produce fear, it doesn't produce fear in you. I remember the first time we lived in, as I mentioned, in Chile for many years. And the first time that they have lots of earthquakes, as you're aware, not too long ago, a devastating earthquake. My first earthquake in Chile, I was in the third floor bathroom of our apartment. I was in the shower when things began to shake. And I thought, I have two options here. I can either believe God... Or I can get to know my neighbors far better than I want to. <laughs> I believed God. At least I've convinced myself I was believing God. But uh, I, I stayed in the shower and prayed in tongues and made it through that one. But one time I was preaching in a church in, in Santiago. And in the middle of my message, I think it was a sign from God, a, a wonder. You know, a sign and a wonder that confirmed his word. Earthquake. All the lights went out. Buildings shaking. One woman, and and so I, it didn't affect me. And so I was prepared to just continue on, lights, no lights, I don't care, we'll just keep going. One woman jumped up, threw up her arms, screamed, ran out the door and down the street. Now we were all in the same church worshiping the same Lord. We were all born again, we were all Christians. But she wasn't built on the rock of Revelation so, when some circumstance came, fear is what, was what her reaction was. So, again, ask yourself when you think of these moments when you've had a chance to react, who do you say that he is? When the doctor says you have six months to live, who do you say that he is? Who revealed that to you? And all of these other conflicts that we all pass through in life, have you spent time with him? To know who he is. Paul prayed about this. Go to Ephesians 1. This is important because Christians need this. When we get born again, our minds aren't automatically renewed with spiritual revelation. These things have to be drawn from our born again spirit. We need revelation knowledge. So Paul's preaching. I'll I'll read from uh, verse 17. He's praying for the Ephesians. This is true intercession here. Paul is praying for Christians. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's praying for those who are already born again, that they would have revelation. He says the eyes of your understanding being enlightened That you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Praise God. This is revelation knowledge. He's praying. He's interceding that these Ephesians would be established in revelation. The spirit of wisdom. Revelation. Knowledge of him. Because he knows that that is what the church is built upon. The, ch- the rock of the church has to be your personal revelation of Jesus. The rock of the church, the rock of your marriage, the rock of your healing, the rock of your family, how you deal with your children, all of these things have to be built upon your revelation. And the way, and see, a lot of people would write in and they, they would say, when I, had, when I was in this correspondence position, they would write in and say, I've done everything Andrew says. I've spoken to the mountain, I've rebuked, I've bound, I've done this, I've done that. Why isn't it working? Because they haven't taken the time to get it from God. Andrew is exposing us to these things. Andrew is teaching these things so that you will go and get them from God. Now you know they exist. That's the blessing of of Andrew and his teaching. We know that grace exists. We know that there is no condemnation. We know that God is not judging us. We know that he is not imputing our sins. We know that he loves us with an unconditional love. And we're exposed to all these things here. And in many cases, you're, you're getting it directly into your spirit. But if you haven't gotten it directly into your spirit, that's your responsibility. So that when someone asks you in the middle of a crisis and they say, well, aren't you a Christian? Don't you talk about Jesus? Why are you freaking out? What? Isn't he your peace? Isn't he your pastor? Another of the seven redemptive names is the Lord is always present. I'm kind of paraphrasing, which, which relates to uh, Leland, what he was sharing yesterday the Kairos time of God. Is that re- true for you? Is that real? Is that revelation knowledge? Is that something that you are built upon to when the, the storms of life come, you aren't moved? Revelation knowledge is the foundation of the church and your life. It gives you victory over Satan. It gives you authority in the earth. Let's go to uh, 2 Peter 1. Second Peter 1, 3 and 4. It says, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We already have it. Through the knowledge of him. Who do you say that he is? Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby we are given, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, Whenever I teach this in Spanish, I always tell the students, underline those words. That by these, this is the key. That by these, you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. That by what? By these promises. And how do you grasp these promises? Not the knowledge of him. Revelation knowledge. Who do you say that he is? is it? Just, are you just parroting some things you've heard? Or have you been with the Lord? Take that that prayer in Ephesians chapter 1 that we just looked at. Make it personal. Thank God for revelations. Father, I thank you that as I'm in your word, you are revealing things to my spirit. And those things are bubbling up. I have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in me. It's bubbling up. It's taking over. It's coming into my mind, into my mouth. It's changing me. Lay a foundation as you get in the word. As you spend time in the word, believe God for revelation. And it may come then or it may come when you're driving the car. It may come when you're painting the house. It may come when you're making dinner. It could come at any time. But suddenly there will be that light bulb moment. You'll say, I see that. I am healed. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I see my marriage healed. I see, I see it now in the spirit. That's, that's the rock. Upon that rock he will build his church. Upon that understanding, that revelation, that relationship where you are literally plugged into him, receiving his life and his, his illumination of your situation, the Spirit shows us things to come. Revelation knowledge. All right, I don't want to ask you one more, another second question. How am I doing? I'm fine on time here. Let's go to John 5. Who do you say that he is? John 5, I want to, I'm I'm going to pull this all together at the end, but I want to ask a different question now. And then we'll combine these at the end. The man at the Pool of Bethesda. And I'll read from... uh, Verse 2, now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind halt with withered, waiting for the moving of the water. And I'll skip on down to verse 5. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew what he, that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Will you be made whole? That's the second question that God's asking us today. First one, who do you say that he is? Second one, will you be made whole? Now that almost sounds like an insult. The guy's been there 38 years. And Jesus just walks up to him, picks him out of a crowd, and says, will you be made whole? Are you willing to be made whole? And so I I thought about that. And without being uh, condemning or critical or anything at all, just I'm trying to illumine some things or illuminate. Sometimes people that are afflicted, and chronically so, have become accustomed to their situation. I'm not saying they like it. I'm, I'm not trying to paint that picture. But they're accustomed to it. And so they've made accommodations. And their family has had to make accommodations as well. And so the whole lifestyle revolves around this person and their affliction. The family revolves around that. The economic situation of the family revolves around that. Everything revolves around that. They've learned to adjust. So this guy's been lying here for 38 years. And people bring him his breakfast. Bring him the morning paper. Plays dominoes with his friends. He's got a lifestyle. I'm sure after 38 years, there's a a system, a routine, a lifestyle. And so Jesus' question is relevant. He comes up to him and says, Will you be made whole? In other words, he is putting the, what's the word? Responsibility on the man. Will you be made whole? And so I want to ask you that question. Not not necessarily healing. Maybe it's about your future. The next step in your life. Maybe it's about your marriage. Maybe it's about baggage you've been dragging for years from the past. Things that you've suffered, abuse, whatever. Will you be made whole? Or are you going to continue living in the routine to which you're accustomed That everyone else has had to make allowances for? Will you be made whole? See, that to me that's an that's a an insightful and important question that Jesus is asking. Are you willing to lay aside all of this, this past, this routine, this environment, This are you willing to take a step of faith? Are you willing to enter into the unknown? Are you willing to do something new? In this guy's case, are you willing to get a job? Are you willing to quit having everything brought to you? Are you willing to move out into to the unknown, into the dimension of life where you're actually going to live and not just exist? Will you be made whole? Are you willing to to get up and to to change things in your life? For those of you thinking of Bible school, are you willing to take a step not knowing how it's all going to work out, not seeing the end from the beginning? Will you be made new? We'll, We'll change the word a little bit. Will you be made into what God wants to make you into? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be transformed? Are you willing for something new in your life? You know, I thought when we came up here to Dallas, I thought, man, I said, Lord, I've started over so many times. I've been so many places. And everywhere you go in ministry, you always have to start at the bottom and you have to start at the beginning. And I I understand that. That's that's good. But when we moved up here, I was, how old? 54. I know I look like I'm 34, but I was 54. (laughs) And so that makes me 57 now. And I thought, Lord, I'm 54 years old. I don't want to start over again. I had a, a productive ministry in Dallas, but, but the cloud lifted L- the Lord several circumstances. I don't want to start over again. I said, it'll be years before anything takes place up there. You know, I knew I was supposed to come be part of Andrew Womack Ministries and hopefully Caris Bible College. And, but, but God, I, I just don't want to start over again. I might be 57 before something happens (laughs) and the Lord says you're gonna be 57 anyway (laughs) and I thought about that and I thought you know there's a lot of you right here thinking but I'm this age I don't want to wait till I'm that age newsflash you're going to be that age Anyway, you might as well be that age doing what God wants you to do. (laughs) Amen? So, will you be made whole? Will you be, are you willing to step out? Important question. First question, pop quiz. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that He is? In your life, in your circumstances, in your situation, in your family, your economic challenges, the things that you have on the, on the, on the burner right now, and you're thinking, I can't, I can't change this. Well, who do you say that he is? Who revealed that to you? If you don't have a word from God, you need to get a word from God. If you don't know how to get a word from God, then you need to figure out how to get a word from God. That is the most important thing in your life. Because God acts through his word. And you need to be plugged in. And then the next question... Will you be made whole? Will you be made new? Will you be made into what God wants you to be made into? Are you willing? Are you willing? Now I want to tie this together. So let's go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We'll start in verse 46. Very well-known story of Bartimaeus. When they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. I'll stop right there. This guy is known. Evidently, blind Bartimaeus is someone who is known. He sits there begging. This is his lifestyle, his routine. This is what he's accustomed to, and people are accustomed to him. It's like a certain tree by the side. Of, there's the tree. There's the bush. There's Bartimaeus. There's, it's just every day, same thing. And so Bartimaeus is in this routine. And no doubt, the fame of Jesus has spread throughout Israel. And everyone's talking about Jesus. And he can hear the feet of people shuffling by. And where is everyone going? Jesus is in the next town. Jesus is just over the hill. Jesus is just in the next area. We're going to see Jesus. Well, why? Well, he's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. There are miracles. And so Bartimaeus is sitting there, and he's contemplating all of this information. Now, probably he was schooled, as most Jewish boys were in that time, so he had some biblical knowledge. And in his time of not being distracted, because he can't really see... He is able to sit there and contemplate and think about this and ponder it. And he hears all of the people going, and Jesus is healing, and Jesus is opening blind eyes, and Jesus is this, and Jesus is that. And based on all of that he had learned as a child, as he sits there by the road day after day, something sparks. Something comes alive in him. Now how do I know that? Let's keep reading. Verse 47, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now wait a minute, where did he get that? This is Jesus, son of Joseph. The Pharisees were convinced he was born out of wedlock, of of fornication. Where did Bartimaeus get the idea that this is the son of David? What does that mean? Well, that's a messianic term. Bartimaeus is attributing to Jesus the fact that he's the Messiah. That isn't flesh and blood knowledge, that's revelation knowledge. He had a revelation this is the Son of David, this is the guy that comes to heal the sick, this is the guy that comes to open blind eyes. This is the Messiah. Jesus son of David, so we have this revelation if you ask Bartimaeus who do you say that he is he will cry out and he did Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the one we're waiting for He knew that that was the rock is this is this clicking this is the rock of his life. He has a revelation He's just a blind beggar, but he has a revelation And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal. See, this is—you know when people have got it, you can't shut them up. You know when people have got it because nothing can stop them. When God speaks to you, look out. When God spoke to me, go to Chile, man. I, three kids, wife, and three kids. We went to Chile with two suitcases each, or cardboard boxes. We weren't rich enough to have suitcases. Two boxes each. We got rid of everything. We went. Because I had a word from God. When he told us to come back, then we had suitcases. (laughs) Two each. Left everything, came back. Had nothing. Two suitcases each. But I had a word from God. Within two weeks, I had uh, an all-new furnished apartment that I got to furnish. Had a brand new car, paid for within two weeks because I had a word thou son of David have mercy on me he had a revelation and they told him to shut up when, when, when God speaks to you people will say you're a nut you can't do that do you know how old you are do you know about this? Do you know about that? Do you know about the other? You know you can't do this. You're, you will run into that. But if you have a word from God, nothing will stop you. And Jesus stood still. Now he was, he, there's so much here. I mean, let me check my watch. Okay, I'm going to keep going here. Jesus stopped because he heard the voice of Revelation. He heard someone that wasn't just along for the bread and the fish and and the show. Someone had a revelation. He heard blind Bartimaeus, Jesus thou, son of David. Somebody got it. He stopped. Revelation stopped Jesus in his tracks. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the same people that were telling him to shut up. And I, I share this in Bible school, and my students have heard this, but people are fickle. One moment they'll be telling you it's impossible. The next moment when they see things happening, they'll, they'll get all on the bandwagon with you. they so said, we knew you could do it. <laughs> be of good comfort, rise, he calls thee. And he, casting away his garment, and there's a whole revelation here I don't have time to go into. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Now listen to this. Now what was the question he asked the man at the pool of Bethesda? Will you be made whole? Is that what he asks Bartimaeus? Okay, stick with me here. What will you that I should do unto you? Now folks, I don't know if you're getting this, but the Son of God stopped his journey and called someone over to him And gave him carte blanche. What will you have me do for you? Why why is that different than what happened at the Pool of Bethesda? Because at the Pool of Bethesda, the guy was waiting on some superstition. He was in a in a 38-year routine. There was no active awareness of Jesus. He wasn't calling out, he didn't know Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus just picked him out and asked him the question as a, as a passive person of a routine. He said, will you be made whole? But in Bartimaeus' case, what do we have? We have a guy that has revelation knowledge. Just a glimpse. I don't know how he, what, what he saw, but he knew that this was the son of David. And so when he calls out, Jesus stops. He heard the voice of revelation. And Jesus goes to him and says, What will you have me do for you? Now, if you'll remember Matthew 16, what did it say? Upon this rock, this revelation, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And you can have authority in the earth. Binding and loosing, but we'll call that authority. You have authority in the earth. What do we have here? We have Bartimaeus with revelation crying out. Jesus stops, and Jesus gives Bartimaeus what? Authority. Name it. Name it. What do you want me to do for you? A good definition of faith, and I have several. Revelation plus action equals faith. See, action without revelation equals frustration. Revelation, son of David, plus action. You can't shut me up in this case. Jesus. Let's read what Jesus said. I want you to get this and then we'll close. What will you that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith. What faith? Jesus is calling this situation faith. And so you go back and you look and you find he had revelation knowledge and he had persistence. He had action. You can find the same thing with the guys that let the the fellow down through the hole in the roof. He saw their faith. You can find the same thing with the woman with the issue of blood. who She fought her way through the crowd. If I but touch the hem of his garment. She had a revelation. And she knew that if she could touch even just the hem of his garment. Action. Revelation plus action is faith. Revelation plus action is authority. Revelation plus action is Jesus asking what can I do for you. Man, that's something. That is something. So the whole point here this morning is, who do you say that he is? Who do you say that he is? Is that just something you've heard? Something you've learned from Sunday school? Or have you been with him? Have you gotten into this word and dug in it and prayed, Father, reveal yourself to me? Who do you say that he is? Is he your healer? Or is he just a healer? Is he your righteousness? Are you cleansed from the inside out? Or is he just the righteous one that you worship? Is he your peace in the moment of an earthquake or in the moment of a, of a conflict in your family? Is he your peace? Or is he just Psalm 23 that you seem to have memorized? Who is he? Who do you say that he is? Second thing, will you be made whole? Will you be made new? Will you take a step? Will you change the routine Are you willing to step out? God has new things for all of us. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter where you live. There is something new for you. Will you step into it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that transforms lives. And Lord, I pray this morning that this word would have touched some hearts, and would have brought new light, new life, new conviction, and new action. We want to know who you are, not just in our heads, but in our spirits. And we want to be willing to step out when all the world is saying you can't do that. If we know who you are, we can do that. And you will be with us, and you will be asking us, what can I do for you? And Father, we are going to see lives transformed. We are going to see marriages healed and restored, bodies healed, destinies charted for the future. And we thank you for that, Lord. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you.